been a bunch of like really, really, really bad ones we've had to sit through. But for sure, I think like the runner and uh, wait, what was the one where with like the flaming witch where he and Hayden Christensen had to like take her through the forest? Yeah. Season of the witch. Season of the witch. That one is uh, the less said about that one, the better. Um, <laughs> and then R.I.P. Joel Schumacher. There was a there's one called Trespass that was oh. one of the hardest movies that I've ever had to sit through. Oh, he did just die, huh? Yeah, yeah. I because I was having this internal discussion myself of like, is this the worst movie that we've watched? I mean, it's really there's very little. Like, I could never recommend this to anybody. Like, not even, not for fun, not for, like, I couldn't even recommend you watch scenes from it. Like, no. there's no, there's nothing yeah. At this point to in salvage. our podcasting career, I might have, like, run out of language to differentiate the different kinds of bad that there are, you know? Like, because I was thinking, I was, in my head, I was like, is it worse than Season of the Witch? I was like, no, that had, like, CGI ghouls in it. Like, it wasn't scary. It was a failure on, on every metric, but it was, but it, it, at least, like, I, I don't know. There was like a, a story that I understood and um, felt the barest uh, connection to. Like I don't know this one. Like I, I like I I came down to trespass. I mean, guarding Tess has been like one of our like. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I I don't even remember why it's so bad at this point. Like I don't remember why we hated it so much. But like it. <laughs> Dave, we should do a we should do a guarding test live stream where we rewatch it for the first time. <laughs> no, Is I'm that down. ridiculous. Uh, okay, <laughs> um, but uh, I, for me, I was like, I was like, trespass is maybe trespass is maybe worse. But the thing with trespass is that like. I at least like I felt something like I felt like anger and like boredom and like you know. Um, Disgust, yeah, yeah, it's, it was like, like repulsion. Well, it, Trespass was like had a quality that this movie also has, where like it, there's like uh, it, it's like this is a serious thing that's going on and a serious story, and the way that we communicate that is that everyone is just yelling and saying swears all the time <laughs> and it's just everyone is just incredibly unpleasant <laughs> and it's like that's adult, right? And. Uh, and Ben Mendelsohn is wearing like an ill-fitting ski mask on for the entire movie. <laughs> and his lips, like the way it's cut, it's just like this. His lips just look oh, like no. this for the yeah. entire movie. It's, it's like he's, it's the weirdest wardrobe choice. I don't I feel like he doesn't have like lips that you want to highlight either. Like as no, it's grotesque. But yeah, uh, I, I was like, tres Trespass made me feel things, um, and they were all negative emotions. But this just, um, like, I didn't, I, I didn't understand what was happening, uh, like, the importance of anything that happened, like, the weight of anything. In Trespass, it's a home invasion, right? <laughs> so at least, like, kind of, like, the the uh there's like some a bear like storyline of like uh you know some stakes and everything yeah but in this like just i i think my notes are like at a certain point i was just like why like what <laughs> you know <laughs> who for who what to, and why or yeah, I, to what none end? of these things were answered during <laughs> the, this the movie. main questions that you want you have some type of answer to <laughs> arguably it's it's not a movie at all if none of these <laughs> questions are answered. It, it, it took to the the root of what a question is itself. 
<laughs> you know, I think that is an interesting. Like, is this a movie? I, <laughs> right. I, I, could, I could hear an argument for the other side. Yeah, like what what are the criteria that a movie needs to I mean it's moving pictures. There there is a there are characters that um and there's a linear timeline of things that happen to them. Um but like in terms of I guess from a consumer standpoint of like you know what anything that you want to get out of the experience of watching a movie, I don't think it hits anything. <laughs> like, no, no, none of it. No, no, none of it. We should do like a, a for real intro now that we're all here. Uh, introducing Ross, our guest. Yeah, welcome to Heat Seeking Panther. Um, Ross, I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Hey, um, my name is Ross, and I have a connection to this movie that we will we'll get to. Do you want to? Should we get to that when we get to it? Or no, let's do it now because you asked. Do it now. You asked to be on this, and I did. Um, I didn't I was, know how bad it would be. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just like, one, I mean, I guess, like, how much do you regret that request at this point? <laughs> not, I mean, some, but not a lot necessarily. So I, I went to, for four years, I studied film at San Francisco Art Institute. And for uh-huh. two of those years, one of my teachers was Christopher Coppola. No! Nicolas Cage's brother. What? Are you serious? Who who will show up in this movie, obviously. With a vengeance. Yes. Oh my God. And there's, he's only in the movie for like three minutes, but like every one of those minutes is like, there's a lot, there's a lot of subtext there. There's more subtext there than there is in any other, the rest of the movie put together. (laughs) Only if you like, spent like two years around him. My mind is blown. I didn't know that. And I was going to have like a reveal at the back end of this episode to you guys that I listened to an interview with Chris Coppola just to try (laughs) to figure out what, you know, what and why and how and who and and all the questions. And I felt like I, I felt like I was coming in loaded with probably like the most insider information, but I think you just scooped me super hard. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to compare notes about that because I guarantee already it's going to be more interesting than anything we say about the actual movie. I, yes, absolutely. I, I mean, there's really, I don't, I, I, should we like talk about the plot and like get there yeah. or I don't know. How do you, yeah, how do you want to do that? Yeah. Let's, let's dispense with. Uh, arsenal itself first, and then what, we can. What minimal backwards. actual plot there is to be yeah. honest. But um, so my experience watching it, uh, I'll start. I um, was kind of paying attention, and then there was a certain point where I just started to look at my phone. And I try to like, I try to be present for these movies that I'm going to be talking on mic about. But I just like, I felt myself get sucked into my phone and into anything else and I just could not care. I just couldn't care and I was, I tried to sort of reprimand myself into making myself pay more attention and then every other part of my brain just said no, <laughs> like we're, we're done. Like I don't, I, I it, it, it was just, like I said, it, it sort of failed at every metric, like aesthetically, um, the, the story, the writing, the acting, the like, just, just everything is, I mean, uninterestingly bad it seems in some ways designed to like repel attention yeah (laughs) yeah 
Well, and that, and I, I think it comes because Dave, I also was actively trying to pay attention. And when I felt myself drift, I was really careful about, you know, getting back to it and really focusing on it. But this movie had some kind of like hypnotic <laughs> thing going on with it yeah. where it just yeah. compelled you to like glaze your eyes glazed over. And you were like, wait, I don't understand. Like this guy just explained something in the last line and I already forget exactly what he said and I'm confused again. It's the kind of movie where like, if there's a scene in the kitchen, you're like just trying to see what's on their shelves. Right. (laughs) Right. Acting. Well, and that's why it's like, even when cage was on screen, who predictably is the most interesting part of any (laughs) bad movie. He's easily easily maybe scooped by his brother in this one, but, but, but there were even other things going on in some of his scenes where I felt myself not a hundred percent like just focusing on him at the, but uh, the first scene where he shows up, I felt like a jolt of electricity. Like I, uh, where he has the pipe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, when he shotguns the dragon, the cigarette, that's, that was okay. He has a guy, a, a guy tied to a chair, and he he sticks a lead pipe in the guy's mouth, shotguns his cigarette down the pipe, and then takes a baseball bat and hammers the pipe into the guy's head. Like, you know, <laughs> that I said, okay, like, okay, we're give, we got a little juice now. But by the end, like, even his scenes, that scene where he was like. Um, he's talking about like a, a opening up a guy's aorta or something, and he makes the sound that it makes. He's like ah! or something, <laughs> and I was like, I should, I should feel something about this, but um, it just it just didn't even register. Well, and I think a whole a whole problem with it was it should have just been a movie about Eddie King, you know? Oh yeah. Like oh, I yeah. don't know why. First of all, I don't know why they made a sequel to De- well, and it's not even a sequel to Deadfall. It more just takes place in the Deadfall expanded universe, which I mean, is it, also weird that there's no well, it direct tie. It, it can't but, be a sequel yeah. because Eddie King dies iconically by getting his face shoved in a deep fryer <laughs> yeah. in Deadfall. <laughs> but he dies at the end of this one too, so it's not like this is a prequel. There's no you can't you can't make it work. Right? Yeah, because you could almost skirt because Deadfall is so strange that it, it it's all shot on like stages and like sort of feels like it's taking place outside of time that like you could almost get away with it whereas this is definitely taking place in the 2010s yeah and a shot with like seemingly an iphone too the picture quality looks like there's an instagram filter over everything the the color balance is deeply fucked my very first note is is the whole thing going to be this yellow? And I wrote that within like <laughs> and thirty it was. seconds of the film starting. <laughs> it was. It's like yeah, it's that thing where like somebody just learned all the wrong lessons from watching De Palma movies, and then also like because there, there's like some like moments where everything's like pink or blue, and they, it's kind of like lit. But for most of it, it's just incredibly just yellow and washed out, and and just so saturated. Um, ugly as hell yeah very like i it's the kind of thing though where it wasn't even like outside of the color grading it was shot in such a way where it was like just the barest minimum of competency so i couldn't yeah. you can't even be entertained it's like it was right. like a criminal minds episode or something yeah like, it, it, was that it totally was of, you're like, right except yeah absolutely except like i guess a criminal minds episode there's these moments of like I, I guess like cinematic artistic flair, but everything has been borrowed like 
20 and photocopied 20 times from its sort, you know, like, cause it, they kept doing like speed ramps and slow-mo shit. And there's like, you know, somebody gets their head oh, shoved God. in a toilet and it's shot from inside the toilet. It's like that Never kind of thing. Never seen that one before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, someone was so excited to do that. Yeah. Someone but. like saw uh Watchmen or like a Zack Schneider movie and they were like, yeah. oh, okay, well that's how you do fight scenes. And they just applied right. the slow-mo to every single fight scene. But in they didn't movie. even like use was, that in a way, like even one of those terrible movies at least like uses that. To right, some and, sort of effect. This is just and there's choreography arbitrary. Right. Yeah. And there's choreography built around the effect. Whereas in this yes. movie, yes. they were just like fist fighting, but then it was slow. Right. And you're like, what? Right. <laughs> you're like, this is it's, so uninteresting to watch. And you thought making it slow-mo would make it better, but it totally didn't uh at all. It made it worse in a way. Because the fight scenes yeah. would have been over quicker otherwise. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. At some point, I started to like note when I felt like they were just like grasping for time, and there's a lot of like how, how? like there's a give, lot of give, filler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess what was not filler? Maybe that's a good place to start with the the plot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, it, it starts with a flashback. You can tell it's a flashback because it's a little more yellow than everything else is, <laughs> right. but not by a lot. Is there voiceover? I don't remember. I don't think so. No, yeah. Voiceover this voiceover honestly would have helped. I would have like known something that was happening. Yeah, because they, they make some logical leaps and time jumps that in like a, a better movie you would it's that's an it's another thing. It's like in a better movie, like they leave out all the pertinent information and leave in the information that is that is arbitrary. So like like I'm okay. So it's it's a flashback and it's about these two boys. There's and, there's yeah. Yeah, brothers. I thought one of them was maybe supposed to be young Eddie King. Like I, I thought that these were characters Ooh. from Deadpool, or not Deadpool, Deadfall, but not true. They're they're just two brothers, and uh, they. Uh, I know for the first ten minutes, I was trying to remember back to Deadfall to put a connection with right. together with these with these two fucking brothers. I was like, who am I supposed to know who they are? Yeah, because it's treating it like. That's what I mean. It's like leaving in the wrong information and assuming that you understand other stuff. And so I was like, is it who, why do I care? <laughs> like I kept waiting for a hook to care. They, these two brothers lit, they have a, I guess a complex relationship. I I don't know. I mean, yeah, they're one of them's mean, but they, they're not mean or they're, it's not, it's not really written to have, yeah, inconsistency. Yeah, and it doesn't signify anything. It's like the older brother is kind of mean to the younger brother, but then, uh, you know, you they he's like bullying him. He doesn't give him money for the arcade games that they're going to okay. see. So this is maybe my first big problem with this movie. It was after we came, we come out from the flashback. I was so confused on which brother was supposed to be which. Same. There's no like, same. Like, because the the there one of them is the main character in the flashback, and then he's like deep supporting cast for the rest of the movie. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah. It, it makes no. It, there's no reason why you would do it like that. Yeah, it's ostensibly it be, his story, but it he, would be very easy to do it from the POV of the other brother, and then there's like <laughs> the smallest amount of continuity, right? But they chose not to. Do Do you think it's the kind of thing where they were like, well, by being uh, like 
selectively obtuse with details it makes it a smarter movie or like something like that like do you think that they thought that they were like were they too clever for their own good i i I mean i just feel like this is you know it's yeah i think that they that's what i mean i think they thought they were leaving the that any information they were leaving out they were doing so to be artful but it was just confusing and anything they left in, they thought it was profound, but it was also just confusing. I, to me, it had the sense of like somebody just like wrote one draft of the script yeah. and they just assumed <laughs> because they knew what was happening that yes. you knew what was happening. I, I like mean, that, that I, think, I think you're giving them a little too much. Maybe. I mean, I, this is, this is the only feature that this person has ever written. And the other, what's their name? The only other thing that they wrote, uh, was Jason Mossberg. The only th- other thing that Jason Mossberg wrote was a CBS All Access show called One Dollar that got canceled. This does have the, the stink of CBS all over <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, but again, it's like, Ross, it's like you were saying, it feels like a Criminal Minds episode. It feels yeah. like a TV procedural, just any random episode from a TV procedural. Except that a TV procedural will hit certain agreed upon sort of <laughs> beats. Like you can, yeah. you, you can watch any SVU episode blitzed out of your mind and still, you know, you're going to hit a couple beats that pulls you through and you get to oh, an ending that, that I would yeah, not show sense. this movie to anyone that was like two beers or more deep. <laughs> they, they would just not like, I, I was having a hard time following it. Totally I, I was dead sober <laughs> and I, I had no clue what was going on. Um, okay. I guess, should we return to the, plot? yeah. So the two brothers, <laughs> one is mean, but then when they go home, he's less mean and, um, their dad they, kills themselves. I don't know if it's a dad. Yeah. We don't know. Somebody kills himself. And I don't think it's ever referenced again. I don't think they ever talk about it again. It's his uncle, but I only found that out from the IMDb trivia page. <laughs> he has no lines in one scene, and then he, in the next he interacts scene, with dead. nobody. And, <laughs> and uh, then um, There's, they come home, and he's dead. And and, and they go to the arcade, right? And so the, it's a the great older time. the older mean, sometimes less mean brother sends the younger brother to the arcade, and we get a, a like montage of him blissfully unaware that the the mysterious old man who's in their house is dead playing arcade games and then un, i'm unclear about the the time any there isn't but the, like then the older brother goes to the arcade and goes to the back room of the arcade where nicholas cage is this is also the first uh eating up time shot that i noticed where there's the like behind the head Scorsese tracking shot of him going through the arcade. Yes, yes. But it's not, like in a Scorsese movie, that scene like conveys information, introduces you to like a place and characters, even if they're not going to come back. But this is literally just like... It's an arcade, we know. It's just an empty hallway. He walks down a really long empty hallway to the back of an arcade and that's it. It's really just like they bought some like blue and red filters for the lights and they're like, well, if we don't use them. (laughs) <laughs> we're not getting our money's worth yeah um and uh he, he goes down into the back room of this arcade which is just all plasticed out and uh cage is doing the shotgun pipe trick that we mentioned before and uh the sometimes mean sometimes not mean brother is like oh i won't tell anybody that you just killed that man and cage is like good and then the next scene there is he, he, he he's working the he's working for 
Nick Cage. There's there, one good Cage line in that scene where he tells he asks the kid. He said, "What'd you see? <laughs> Something that's beautiful." Which I really liked. <laughs> See, there were like at the, for the first like ten minutes, there were moments that maybe be like, oh, maybe this is like a yeah. fun bad movie. Yeah, w- and, yeah, maybe we're gonna. That was not. That was not <laughs> to come to pass. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and this is the first like leap, like true when I was trying to understand what was going on, and this is the first big leap where suddenly he's like. There's another scene between the brothers, and and he's like, yeah, well, I work, f- I now I've been working for him, and he treats me good or something, and you're just like, you are? What do you do? Why do you do that? Who was the old man who died? Who are you? <laughs> who? Why, why do I care about any of this? A- a- and then it just goes to the present. That's yeah, it. Yeah, and then it's, and then and then there's the little subtitle where it's like 23 or 26 years later or whatever. Right. And then it's just the two brothers back at the same park that they were in when they were kids, sitting on the same benches, like talking to each other. And we are forced to come to terms with the fact that we're going to have to watch the guy from Entourage for an entire movie, (laughs) pretending to be tough. Yeah, this is a Vinny Chase joint. A scary little man. (laughs) I had like a a really kind of existential crisis when I realized (laughs) after. After it did the time jump and then there was like another couple minutes of the movie where they were really leading into the brothers being like, you know, the the brothers like emotional connection and backstory and their like tortured relationship. And then I realized to myself, what if Cage never comes back? <laughs> I was like, what if he was only in the one that one uh, intro scene and then the rest of the movie is about these two brothers? And Dave, I swear to God, I almost slammed my computer shut and I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm, I'm not watching the rest it's of it. It's not scene. worth it. None of it's worth it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think if that's the case, then I, I, you can take a mulligan on this episode. Like, I don't, there doesn't need to be one for that. That's not. Yeah. Um, thankfully he does come back and thankfully we got to watch the rest of the movie. And thankfully John Cusack also shows up shortly after that, wearing a do rag and a backwards hat with aviators. Yeah. Steven Seagal (laughs) (laughs) or Vince Neal. I couldn't decide which one is closer. Yeah, that one part he he has like a his windbreaker hood up and he's like (laughs) he's like chewing on a toothpick or something. I just think I think it's so funny that John Cusack in this part of his career keeps taking parts where he's playing like sleazebags because he's just miscast all the I like I've never seen like I've never seen him playing like a truly like morally compromised character and like really sell it. I know. And well, in this, I mean, he's like everybody else. He's given absolutely nothing to work with. There's no reason Honestly, for Honestly, even there. less than everybody else. Yeah. He doesn't have... Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is they literally could have cast anyone in that role. Yeah. Why did they pay John Cusack to do that? <laughs> I, I also appreciate how puffy he is. <laughs> I don't... I don't uh, no, as I as I age, I I don't want to body shame these uh these men, but especially because he's such a like a pretty man, it's just so funny to see him in in like a do do rag with aviators <laughs> cruising around, and just his face looks like a crescent roll. <laughs> I think this might be the closest I can come to recommending people any part of this movie 
is like if you look up photos of John Cusack. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a little bit funny. It's pretty funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, and arguably it even upstages Cage. They're not in any scenes together, I don't think. But Sadly, like, no. But no. really the, the, the characterization of or really the non-characterization yeah. of Cusack. Anti-characterization. Is Do we, so, does anybody know what he does? Like, or, No, who is I he? I think he might, he might be the, the younger brother's employee or he might be his friend. But I don't know why they'd be friends because they have nothing in common. He's an under, they're definitely friends, but he's an undercover cop oh right he's a cop is he a, is he really yeah. a cop i, I thought he was he, pretending to be a cop. no i think he is really a cop right yeah i i think I, so but why are they friends well i, I mean th- these are I not questions that are answered <laughs> no and they might have been answered in a later draft of the script but they never got to it so i think you're right ross i think um the writer definitely knew in his head i think he he had the it's whole like, backstory probably yeah he made up this whole backstory for everyone but then never put it in the script so <laughs> um yes sal is his name <laughs> w- wonderfully <laughs> um and the the brothers are adults now, and they have a construction business that, or something that's also the younger never the younger brother, who is not the main character in the flashback. Again, I, I want to repeat, is now our main character, and he he owns a construction business. And the older brother, who is no longer our hero, is just a generally kind of like sleazy divorced dad, ne'er do well type. Yeah, he's he's played by an actor named uh, Jonathan Shake or something. His name is really distressingly spelled. It's J O H N A T H O N. And I he was in the Doom Generation and that thing you do as the lead singer. But I, I haven't seen that hmm. second movie, and I haven't seen the Doom Generation since I was in high school. So. There you go. Um, he looks like an MMA fighter in this, and um, who who's like really live. He looks like, <laughs> he looks like he knows uh, Mickey Rourke's character in The Wrestler. Essentially, <laughs> he is the closest thing to like appropriate casting. Yes, outside of oh, the yeah. the Cage and Coppola brothers. Like, I don't think he's good, but he at least looks like what he's supposed to be playing, which is way fucking more than I can say for the guy from Entourage. Same, yeah. And Why he can wear any of John movie? Cusack's outfits and actually like <laughs> wear, uh, pull them off. Like he yeah. looks like he was born with a flat brim cap. Is the version of this movie where that guy plays both brothers and John Cusack's role a better movie, do you think? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have a construction business. Um, the older brother the, who we have agreed is well cast, even if he's a bad actor, um, it was was loaned what like ten thousand dollars by uh, Vinny Chase, and uh, he it, it took for like what his daughter's schooling or some it's, shit. I think it was her braces, even though she's like twenty five. <laughs> like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this again is just the terrible case of Hollywood casting like a thirty year old in a teenager role. It's just like. But- is she a teenager? Like who? And who are the women that they are connected to? Like, I don't know if his wife has a name. I don't no. know if either of the wives no. have names. I know the baby doesn't because I remember throughout the movie they just refer to the baby. <laughs> like they just never bothered even just John. Like that was too much work. It's an every baby. So 
Yeah, he he's borrowed ten thousand dollars for his adult daughter's braces, um, but she is a drug addict, and that is of no concern here because he is apparently he buys also drugs. He buys like a brick of cocaine. He's that, gonna flip it on the right, streets, for, <laughs> right? And uh, then he gets ripped off by. Uh, two guys who we don't really know anything else about, except I did like they break into his house and uh, and he goes, he he like he recognizes and he goes, I recognize your car, shit tard. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have shit tard in my notes also, just yeah, on its good. Um, yeah, that was a little color, you know. Uh, and so now he needs money, and he right, and is that why he goes to Nick Cage as an adult? Yeah. No, it's like it's right? an accident. Like he's just oh, drinking that's in right. the same bar, right. and Nick he Cage like, is just like, I have an idea, because he needs yeah. money too for reasons maybe. Yeah, something with his own brother, I believe. Right. Um, is, yeah, I, I don't know is, how anybody could follow <laughs> like any description of this plot. Like, I don't think that's our fault either. I don't. Th- I don't see. I don't no. know how I could describe this to somebody. And well, we're doing. Just I don't know over. how to do it better, but I yeah we uh, we should just uh, <laughs> apologize across the board. <laughs> right. So okay. So basically, like like we can. Oh yeah. So he meets Cage randomly, and then Cage I like says, that C- Cage Cage has the the he looks you know like Eddie from Deadfall, but they give him the introduction of like Brando in The Godfather of like you come to me on the day of my daughter's right. wedding. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. He's like he's like sitting in the back booth. Right, but like, he, he but he looks like Sonny Bono with a prosthetic nose. Dude, he looks okay. like Tony Clifton, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's spot on. <laughs> did he have a prosthetic in Deadfall? I feel like he did, but I can't remember. I can't remember either. I don't. Th- I don't think he did. I think he just had a mustache and a wig and yeah. of silly clothes. But I this mean, prosthetic is they clearly spent all the budget on Cage and John Cusack and the slow mo because they had uh, no I can makeup that. budget. We have no makeup budget for the prosthetics at all. Like it, like it looks like Cage found, like, uh, like you know, dough. It looks in like his, silly like, putty. Fridge. It's yeah, like, it's yeah. you're like, at Halloween discount band level. Yeah, like, it, it's it's so good. Um, it's just incredible to me that they that they saw that on camera and they were like, yeah, I'll we'll just go with it. It's all right. And that they like. They rebuilt it like every day. Of shooting. Every day, yeah. <laughs> like, they're, no they like, you know what? Maybe no this time we can like we can. It, maybe this time it'll look a little better. They're like, no, we we already achieved perfection, <laughs> and the best we can do is replicate it. I uh, yeah. The the he he goes to Cage and they enter into some sort of agreement and contract. I I was really starting to fade at this part. Yeah, so basically Cage is like, doesn't your brother own a successful construction business? Why don't we say that you're kidnapped and then just ask for ransom and then we can get the money? And he's like, no way, I would never do that to my brother. So then a couple days later, his brother gets a call from like a, like, it's like scream, right? With like the voice box on the phone where (laughs) he's like, where he calls him, he's like, I have your brother if you ever want to see him again bring me $350,000 like to this location on this day. Right. So he gets like a ransom right. call and then he goes to Cusack and he's like, we got to figure out who took my brother. Okay. So here's the other thing about the situation though, is that we already knew from the go, <laughs> we, the audience already knew that Eddie King was the motherfucker 
that kidnapped him. But now we got to <laughs> right. wait around for 20 minutes while this yeah. idiot brother figures that out. That's one of my <laughs> least favorite things that a movie can do. Yes, it's same. Like when it does that thing of like it solves a mystery and then it makes you watch it. Like it makes you watch idiots try to solve it. In <laughs> like not even when there's no like there's not even another character that it could be. Like there's no <laughs> right. there's no alternatives. It's just it's not there's no way to get any type of like drama or no, anything th- from it. There's nothing learned. There's nothing revealed from from the, the the search or anything because as we mentioned, like even the wives don't have names. There's nobody else populating right. this world. There's one the closest thing to a side character that I did like was there's like a drug the guy who sells the brother the drugs who just looks like an extra from Death Wish. He's got yeah. the like the liberty spikes and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's the one who actually solves the mystery too. They're like, well, who could it be? And he's like, hey, wouldn't your brother not betray you for these reasons? And wasn't it probably Eddie King, the local crime lord? And <laughs> right. He's, he's and like John Kuzak look at each other like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like Eddie King, you know, he's connected from New York to New Orleans. <laughs> and it's a thing that John Cusack's useless character could have provided. <laughs> Why is John Cusack in this movie? Can someone explain I, that to me? That's the scene where he has the the windbreaker, and I also wrote he has one of those vapes that was like the size <laughs> yeah, of the like vape. a yes. It was like the size of like a TV remote or something. Dude, he's just waving the whole scene when they're in the car. He's just <laughs> casually he's casually waving the vape around in one hand. It's, it looks like one of those like wireless news anchor microphones, like with <laughs> chunk at the bottom. Like <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's such a um, good prop. I wonder if that was a I wonder if that was a Cusack touch. Yeah, me too like did he just have that and they were like keep it i was disappointed it didn't come back so me too I was I, yeah it would it was gonna make a return appearance yeah we never see him actually blow mist but uh that would be <laughs> fucking amazing if like it, it was like it, it's eddie king right you know him and cusack just lets out an enormous puff and he's like my god he's got a whole tiktok page where he just does like smoke tricks with his vape <laughs> i mean yeah, he's instead- not a co- he's not a cop he's just uh, a magician <laughs> And the only like prop really we got was Chekhov's stun grenade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? What was although, that? Although that was kind of sick. I didn't see it coming. I will say that. I should have, but that is the one thing in this movie I didn't already figure out before everyone else in the scene. I mean, I liked it cuz just there's like there's a scene that is there for no other reason than to introduce it where, <laughs> where the, he, the he's trying to pawn it. Got, yeah, he tries to s- sell it and the guys like the guy who owns a gun store. It's like, what like, is this? A flashbang? What's that? <laughs> let's have let's have five lines of dialogue explaining that. And, and then, and then they bring it back later, right? Where he's like talking to his to he's talking to Cusack and he's like, Hey, you do you want to buy a flashbang? And Cusack's like <laughs> Why do you have that? Basically, What's a he's like, what? I forgot. He's he's like, ah, narrative purposes. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> also, Cusack's a cop, so wouldn't he know what a flashbang wouldn't was? Wouldn't everybody like, know? Yeah, the gun dealer and the police officer don't know what what this like what this thing is. Okay, so the, the, there's another thing that I kind of think is funny about the about this like extended universe of this movie is that everyone appears to be involved in some kind of petty crime, right? Yeah. It's like it's like yeah. this is like our suspension of disbelief is supposed to be that this takes place in a universe where just everyone on your block is just casually committing 
petty crimes, right? Well, and that's it's, that that's that like adult thing that I mentioned, you know, where it's like it's showing how bad the world is. Everyone's swearing, everybody's mad all the time, and they're all on the take. Yeah, but because everyone's doing it, it seems so heightened yeah. as to be not realistic yeah. at all. No, yeah, it's completely divorced from like actual not, reality. Not, not everyone in this like not everyone in this uh, you know, swamp suburb is is like uh is like involved in the mob right that's that's, it's just crazy to me that like i don't know because because where are they well that's the other thing somewhere somewhere between new orleans and florida right (laughs) there's there's one line to place there's two things to place it there's they play like a little zydeco bit at the very beginning (laughs) and at one point entourage says Katrina didn't drive us out. Oh, and neither right. will any king. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hurricane Eddie over here. God. <laughs> That's so funny. That's, oh. I mean, at least you know, you know, if you were somebody affected by that horrible disaster, at least you know now you're just fodder for a throwaway line. A God, terrible I know. direct movie. And Nicholas Cage movie. Like, I, I mean, Cage already addressed Katrina in uh, The Runner, but... Uh, and also uh, in Port of Call, New Orleans. Yes. Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's There's true. a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. There, There's a lot of good uh, New Orleans Cage material, but this this is easily at the bottom. Um, Z- Zandali, anybody? Ross, you ever yes. seen Zandali? Oh, I have seen Zandali. Dude, oh my I do, God. I, that's a good one. Yo, that's yes. another one I want to rewatch that bring I don't remember. Bring back that character. Yeah. What's that character doing? I think he might have also died, but bring, bring him back anyway. Uh, dude, while we're at it, bring back Judge Reinhold too. Fuck it, why not? Yeah, bring him back. Just in general. Sure. <laughs> with, with the mustache. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, um, so kidnapping, that happened. It's around this part that Chris Coppola shows up. Yeah, so here's, this is the only part of this movie that I really have anything to talk about. You know what, let's let's save it for the end. Because okay. um, that scene exists sort of in a bubble. <laughs> it doesn't, I, I guess uh, Eddie King's, um, I, I mean, his brother shows up and there's uh, a double cross of some sort that I wasn't really paying attention to. And uh and Eddie King has to kill his brother, Buddy King. Um, <laughs> it, it, and he gets, he cuts off one line that um, is actually sounds like he's doing Eddie from Deadfall. Cause up till that point, he's kind of just playing it like a standard sleazeball. Like it, it's pretty over the top, but it's also like, I mean, it's, it's still definitely this, through a cage filter. But yeah. He's not but doing the Eddie, the he's same not Eddie, doing King Eddie character. But he, yeah. but he goes, Oh, my brother's trying to kill me, man. <laughs> and, uh, and kills him. But we'll, we'll return to that. Um, but he's out of the picture. Sorry. Before we move on from that scene, can I just say one thing? I was watching this with my girlfriend and she didn't know anything about this movie or Chris Coppola or anything God. except that it was a Nick Cage movie. So she, to be fair, she walked out after like half an hour. She's like, fuck this. Good. I'm not watching this. But, but she did. I think, I think she did get to the, she got to the scene with, um, with Chris Coppola and, and when she first, so she didn't know that he was his brother. And when he first came on uh, the scene to like do that part of the movie, she asked me if, Chris Coppola was also cage in like different prosthetic makeup. <laughs> like she, like she thought that he was like nutty professoring it and like playing both characters in that scene until I explained that, no, that's just his brother. And then she was more confused. <laughs> think about it. But she thought that they were both cage. Yeah. I mean, 
there, yes, I'm excited to get into Chris. Um, and I'm really sorry that Viv watched any of this movie. Well, me too. That, and that I sucks. Well, and now that I, now that we live together, she's just ended up having to watch a bunch of these with me. And I feel bad sometimes that good Lord. Not, yeah. So it's around this part of my notes that I just, I just wrote, I hate art now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I, I just got, I got, I got really negative about the idea of just making any, any creative expression. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and then, and, but, and it's funny too, cause from, from after the, the Chris Coppola scene to the end of the movie, it's basically just Cusack and uh, entourage, entourage, like chasing down various petty criminals and gangsters to like beat them for information and then finally find out where eddie is keeping his brother yeah it's just it's again there's no it's just a lot of killing time until we get to a final confrontation um which is not worth it no um there there is a moment in that final confrontation where someone gets a slow-mo cgi shotgun blast to the dick (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah that was i did like that that yeah. was good um but and then also someone gets shot through the cheek too yeah yeah the some of the prosthetics the like gore prosthetics are i were good i mean they're like real like um they're practical effects so i i always like that they were both like grotesque in a in a way that was like realistic enough to be gross but not realistic enough to be fun or uh it it have any pathos or anything it was just like kind of gross and distressing there's like that action sequence has some like good like you said like some good effects and like shots but it's completely like spatially incoherent yeah there's no nobody is anywhere in relation to anybody else it's the geography of series of of like tableau of right. guys getting their dicks blown off in right. slow mo and that's and all pe- that it is people just punching I- each other in slow mo that's literally all the rest of the notes i took for that the actual plot of the movie like what i'm trying to see if i have anything and i'm sorry if this is anything that you guys talked about while i was out there's one bit where right before cage kills his brother where he does quote a line from Deadfall. He does like, yeah, they're trying to kill me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually literally what I said while you were out. <laughs> but uh, that, that part was pretty electrifying. What about this scene? This was earlier in the movie, but what about the scene where they're at like a 4th of July uh, dinner in their like really kind of depressing little house and uh, and the entourage makes that speech. Uh, do you guys remember this? Oh uh, yeah, he, he, makes, he, get, he gives the toast, and the camera does like a slow zoom in on him, and he t- he tells a story about he's like when I was young, I remember a guy on the street corner, and he was saying, "Follow him, he will save you, he loves you," and I thought he was talking about my brother because I thought my brother was the best person ever, and I didn't realize he was talking about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the worst read monologues I've seen in anything that's been like commercially released. It's yeah, like yeah. I like I was I felt like proxy shame yeah, <laughs> for exactly. doing such a bad job of that. Like yeah. I'm not, I don't like. There, it's very, very, very rare that I'll ever see anybody do anything in a movie and be like, I could have done that better. 
Yeah, like, I, but, I could have done that dramatic <laughs> monologue much better. I, yeah. Even I with mean, that writing, I could shit, have done that It's a better. shit monologue, but yeah, he he, he uh, delivers it like you would deliver just uh, the a book report. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it totally is. You're right. It's so flat. <laughs> oh God. The other the other thing. So I so at, at this point, I guess we're just getting down to like minutia, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's okay. all that we can do. Great. So uh, there was something that really really bothered me, way more than it should have. Uh, there's a point where like Entourage's wife is in the tub and he gets in with her. But <laughs> yo, he's wearing, this made yeah. me really mad yeah. too. I hated that. He's wearing jeans and a t-shirt and he just climbs into the tub and starts making out with her. That yeah, was very gross. And she, she's like, she's like, babe, your clothes, and and he's just like, I don't care. But like, that's all the characterization we get between them. That's the right. only moment that we get. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's like that stupid speech, the toast at the table. It's like where the shame and embarrassment and like anger that I'm feeling is like just at seeing something just done so poorly. Like where you just see the there. Like this could have been a good bad movie if there were moments like even the things like Cage's prosthetic nose or whatever things that are elevated to a degree where you go like damn what were they thinking but the sad <laughs> part is that I go I know what you were thinking yeah, and, and yeah. you just that's shit the worst the bed. yeah it's just so, the first most basic basic thought imaginable. obvious fucking thing well, there's with your what you're saying about there's like no characterization with Entourage and his wife there's it's like reverse characterization because I don't think they intended it, but I love at the very end before the like entourage goes back to save his brother and he like rescues his brother's ex-wife because she tries to kill herself because her 30 year old daughter got kidnapped. (laughs) And there's a scene where like entourage is basically saying like, I have to go save my brother and my niece from certain doom. And can you please like save our sister-in-law from dying? And his wife is just like, let's not do that. Let's just leave. Like let's let's let them die. Let's let they, all three of them die. Are I mean, we cool with that? You're right because the scenes, like that Fourth of July scene, up until that stupid monologue. Again, everyone's just arguing and being shitty to each other. It's like there nobody's relationships make sense, and to the degree that they do make sense, it seems like accidentally in trying to write something serious or adult, he just made everyone unpleasant and seemed to kind of hate each other. Yeah, I was actively rooting for more of our heroes to die and there's a death count of zero on the side of the good guys which is really disappointing Mm -hmm. very sad Mm -hmm. um they're also do you think that the monologue the boy drinking drano monologue was a cage choice i feel like that wasn't in the script the cage the cage improvised that or at least Um, had the idea for it and i don't even remember that i i think i was it's the one where he does the sound where he does oh yeah right (laughs) yeah like that's no, I think unfortunately that was in the script, but I, I think I, he de- he delivered it with some aplomb. That sounds like the level of like tough guy monologue that the people yeah who are capable of this movie could come up with. Mm-hmm. I think. I I think the only cage improvisation was probably the ah my brother's trying to kill me man. I think that See, was I don't him. even think that because that was from Deadfall. Like I I feel like if they wrote him as that character. They probably wrote that in. No, are, are, okay. Are you guys ready for my a couple answers to my initial questions of why and how? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Please. I need, I need to know. I need okay. to know, Dave. Okay, so I listened to a, a, a this interview with Chris Coppola that was really great. 
um, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. How um, long was it? How much time did you sink? It's, it's like 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Um, that's not bad. And anything that's funny about it though, I think Ross probably has a lot more insight into, but the, but I just wanted, I couldn't find any interviews with anybody really connected to this film in any other way. So, so here's some answers about why and how, um, Chris Coppola, um, teaches film and, um, he said, I, Ross, you, you can maybe confirm or deny this, <laughs> but, um, he said that he's discovered in recent years that, uh, Deadfall, which he says is not one of his favorite of his films that he's made, um, that has become, is something of a cult classic and is still relevant with, uh, the youths of today. And um, he said that so much so that uh, different students at his college would do Eddie parties where they'd all dress up as Eddie King and no. say the lines. That's not no. true. That if anybody would have done that, it would have been me. And that didn't happen. I can tell you definitively. I, <laughs> I mean, I have not been in school for a long time. So, may, but no, I can say definitively I, <laughs> nobody's done it since I've been there either. That's just not a thing that happens. Okay, well, <laughs> because I can also tell you nobody there really likes him. So nobody's doing this like cool thing for him. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Um, well, <laughs> it, this, this imaginary incident um, <laughs> put into his mind that Eddie King is uh, still relevant, perhaps more relevant now than ever. And um, he was hanging out with his brother, um, I don't know, eating food or just doing, doing something. And um, he said to, to Nick, he said, you need to bring back Eddie. <laughs> like, Eddie, <laughs> like, it's time. Like, people want more Eddie. And Nick said, oh, well, I'm about to do this other, this movie. Maybe I could be Eddie in it. So... He had already oh. signed on. He had already signed for on for this movie that was through all stages of production called Southern Fury, which is a that's a way better name. For that's it. a better title because yeah. you know what? There's no arsenal in this. No. There's no. There are barely even guns. <laughs> There's just a grenade, <laughs> and it's not even a real it, grenade that kills people. It just <laughs> makes you like go into slow motion for a little bit. <laughs> Uh, um yeah um chris coppola is also upset at the name change um but he he had basically no connection to this movie like this was being made um tangentially to everything and um so somewhere in that process cage said can i do eddie king for this yeah so this movie was directed by stephen miller not that one <laughs> <laughs> uh, which one is worse now <laughs> <laughs> this rather than uh being a white supremacist uh shit heel in the political world this stephen miller um did uh, he made the remake of silent night deadly night that came out and no one saw he also has directed three movies with bruce willis in them called course. First Kill, Extraction, and Marauders. I, every poster for those movies looks identical to the other ones <laughs> and to the poster for this movie. Well, Dave, um, as we found out, they're all made by one company, right? 
are they? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, he his oh the posters yes the posters yeah. are all made by uh underpaid people in like the course of an hour or so that all makes sense um he directed his first film at 25 uh at film school and it was it's called automaton transfusion which i really like um and before i found the interview with chris coppola i was trying to dig deep on stephen miller like who is this guy the the uh, only I, I saw I found a bunch of interviews with him just in general like why do you why do you make the films you make like what why are you so successful and I realized that they were all um, produced by the film school that he went to which is a for profit university in Florida <laughs> called Full Sail <laughs> University um, I, I remember seeing like cable ads for that like a decade ago. Same. Um, their notable alumni list contains no notable alumni. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, well, it contains Stephen Miller. And well, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen Miller, not that one. And um, they uh, have recently come under uh, controversy for their high costs, low placements, and difficulties with credit transfer. Oh, I, they have a, I wonder they have a why. Fifty five percent graduation rate <laughs> and a twelve point seven percent student loan default rate. <clears throat> so uh, there's that. But they they've produced a bunch of. Uh, uh, movies of alumni like Stephen Miller um, talking about how they used their full-scale education to uh, leverage uh, movies with um, big movie stars. So the two big movie stars in this movie, uh, John Cusack and Nicolas Cage, did eat up almost all of the budget for the movie. I don't know anything about Cusack's involvement. I don't know why he's there. Um, it's his fourth team up, third, fourth team up with Cage. I think it's the yeah. fourth one, right? On air. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> other one that you were talking about. Yeah, the Frozen Ground. Frozen and Ground. Then, and, is there, I mean, um, I, well, they were in um, adaptation, or no. Um, while you're looking that up, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, the reason for uh, a reason for things being the way they are is um, so. Cage not only got paid more than I think anybody else involved with this movie, but he also only gave them 24 hours to shoot his material. So um, they didn't have to reapply that terrible prosthetic. That was just, that's, they, they oh, shot straight you know through. What? I'll, I'll take that one back. I'll, I'll, I apologize to the makeup department for my insinuation that they did that bad of a job like a week in a row. No, I'll, they just did it once. that one statement. <laughs> but and, that also uh, explains why it's in very like it's in varying states of decay and falling yeah, off yeah. because they shot it worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um yeah, he yeah, I I mean it's impressive that they got that much material out of Cage for uh just shooting a day cuz they they do get a lot of scenes with him considering that. Um Chris Co as far as Chris is concerned uh that just led to a lot of hurry up and wait for him and a lot of sitting around in his trailer. He was like, the interviewer was like, do you have any, any good stories from working on the film? He's like, ah, stories. Uh, he said, he said, uh, I guess there, you know, I was in my trailer for most of the time. Um, but I guess there was a baseball game at one part and while they were watching the team won and everyone got excited. <laughs> That's like, it. That's that's not that's not anything one thing i did want to want to mention that i have in my notes baseball related at the beginning when they're playing baseball i have written down that the shitty bro the older brother 
hits a home run, and then he says, slam a jam a ding dong, baby. <laughs> and then he repeats it and says, slam a jam a ding dong, woohoo. But he does he says it about that same level of excitement the second time. Which I really like as soon as that happened, I could see like him looking at the script and the script saying slam a jam a ding dong. And him just like direct, like just with the mo- slam a jam a ding dong, woohoo! It's just the bitchiest. Like, it's pretty good. I, that was another one of those moments at the beginning that made me be like, "Oh, there might this might be kind of fun." But that was. I'm so glad that you remembered that. <laughs> uh, so Ross, do you want to talk to us a little bit about your uh, yeah about your school career? Yeah, let's okay. go. So, so I, I majored in film at a, and this is not like an actual film school really. Cause it's a very like conceptual art school. So like, I didn't ever really learn except out of like a couple, like a handful of teachers, any like technical shit. It was like, they were very bad at that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But, but like, so midway through the old chair of the film department, who was like this woman who is kind of well known, but like she didn't, she would like just sit, she would like sit in critiques and like not say anything about anybody's stuff. But so she left and was replaced with Christopher Coppola, who just proceeded to come in and like clean house and replace every, like all the teacher of the whole like structure, like with it was, it's a very Trumpian move. Like he just came in to like bring his own people in. I'm not, I was just talking with a friend of mine who was also there for this about this. Um, and I'm not convinced at some point he didn't say he was going to make the film department great again. It's very possible <laughs> that those were words that came out of his mouth in a meeting trying to assure everybody that things would be okay. Things were not okay. Um, so I, the first semester I took there, he tried to do this project where there were going to be like five classes. And each one would be like, a, there'd be like a screenwriting class and a directing class, and an editing class, and a cinematography class, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all five of those classes were going to work together and make one feature-length movie. Oh, my God. That is such so, a brilliantly dumb idea. <laughs> I, so I was in the screenwriting and directing portions of that. So I bear no small amount of responsibility (laughs) for how it turned out. Um, The screenwriting teacher, first of all, the screenwriting teacher decided that each semester in her class, we were going to have like a script that was like the, the er script, like the perfect, the perfectly written script that we were going to refer to and like try to learn from and base everything that we did off of to the point of our movie, basically being a loose remake of it. The movie she chose for this purpose was Juno no. And then we were forced to basically, we were forced to write a script remaking Juno as a zombie movie. No. Set in the art school where we went to school. These no. were basically, and, and it was written by committee. So like no. each person in the class would get like, one person would write five pages and person two oh, would write the next God. five pages of the script. And like, it just went on like this. 
That's it. So you learn about screenwriting by doing a process that literally no screenwriter would ever yeah, do. On, on a tangent here, the same screenwriting teacher who I really did not like introduced herself the first day as being like, so I've never sold a script or had anything made ever. And I'm like, so why the, what, what am I, what am I to learn here? Like, what am I, what are we doing here? I am an object lesson in failure. Yeah. Wow. Do not as I do. Um, so that was the screenwriting portion. The directing portion was taught by Christopher Coppola. Naturally. And basically what it boiled down to, it was kind of done the same way where like different people would direct different scenes. But what it really meant was Christopher Coppola was the director and we were like ADs oh who would like occasionally get like chunks of footage to shoot. That rules, yes. Slam a ding dong, baby. <laughs> Woohoo, indeed. Um, <laughs> but I, so like, I mean, I spent like months of my life like going to class and then spending like six hours after class on this movie that everybody knew was going to be terrible. Oh God. Except, except Christopher Coppola. He's the only one that didn't he, think it was going to be terrible. He gave up on it at some point, like halfway through too. Cause he I realized think. his five classes making one movie was a bad idea. Right. <laughs> oh, he was he, like, <laughs> he, I think he's still, well, my school, like, during COVID has basically like filed for bankruptcy and I think it's probably gone forever, but I think like he tried to keep doing it like a <laughs> year man. after that. Um, oh God. But it's, it was a mess. What was um, it called? What was the title of the movie? Oh, you know, I don't remember. Wow. I don't, okay. I, re I only remember. It's not, you can't watch it anywhere. I used to have a private Vimeo link. <laughs> I'll, I will look, I, I will look after yeah. this to see if I can Please. still, Dude. if I can find it, I will send it to you. Yeah. Ross, I don't think it still exists. Ross, if you can find it and send it to us with your permission, we'd like to do a live stream of it <laughs> while we will You know, I'll join in. <laughs> yes. Okay. You, you should. I will say it's more entertaining than Arsenal. That's, already it's, already it's that's that's a net good then miles ahead <laughs> it's start so uh, i don't even know where to start he forced us to star his christopher coppola forced us to cast his son in the starring role oh my and God. was his son at the school as a student no okay no he flew him up from los angeles <laughs> <laughs> His son looks he, exactly. He exercise, wait, he exercised nepotism on a student film in a. Okay, yeah, yes, go ahead. Go yes, ahead. Yes, his son looks exactly like like a fifteen year old Nick Cage, or at least did at the time that I knew him. Awesome. And there's the performance doesn't really reflect that, except in a. There's like one scene where he goes like Gah! and kicks a locker, and it's like uncanny. But other than that, it's like really bland and nothing. Um, Let's see. I'm just. Tr I'm trying to think of more stories. He wore a, a fringe, like a cowboy fringe jacket that went down to his hips every single day. Yes. He had an out. He had like a rotating series of do rags that he was never without. Yes. Um, he smoked cigars like inside the school, like inside the building. I'm trying to think back to because like did, I think a lot of I did a lot of mental work to like forget some of this. Yes, stuff. I, I'm sure. Um, uh, did he ever show you guys any of his films as part oh, of the program? Yeah. He did, and Deadfall is the best out of all of them. So he's right about that in that that's the most relevant of his works because it's the only one that's like he said it's a, it's not his favorite though. Watchable. He, I mean. Uh, he has so here's I think the the most important thing about Christopher Coppola from what I was able to get about him is he's basically he's like the least talented person to have been born in his family for three <laughs> generations like before and after him 
uh-huh. and yet he chose like he could have been like an HVAC technician, and he would probably be just like a happy, like weird dude. Right. But he decided he had to make his mark in the same field that yes. so many geniuses in his family tree have emerged from, and just will not will he just won't give that dream up. And maybe that's to be admired or not. I don't really know. In the interview I listened to, he described growing up in Long Beach as he said that they were like the poor Coppolas and he seemed really bitter that like, you know, that there there's a lot of bitterness. He's a very bitter man. Didn't didn't sort of do anything for him as a kid and uh, continues to not do enough for him and um that you know he's like he says like we didn't have god mon- godfather money to make us rich you know and that he, he in his reading nick cage um d- you know became a star in part to show <laughs> to show the world what the poor coppolas could do <laughs> which i is something i've never gotten from uh, no, I, that that sounds like an extremely bitter man. That's yeah. that's yeah. the comment of someone that has like a huge chip on so their shoulder. Yes. The thing with Christopher Coppola is, I my in my experience with him, I found him to be an asshole. Yeah, um, I found him to be very vain and demanding and untalented. Yeah. But despite all of that, there is he always has this kind of like, like he's still that like sad kid. That was like, yeah. There's something pathetic about him that, like, I could right. never bring myself to like hate, hate, hate. him, yeah. even when like I was doing like all this annoying shit for his whims. Like, there was something that was just like, I always like, I was always just kind of like, ah, I don't, I don't have that in me to like to have that venom, you know. The the, the just the way he chose to structure his life is like uh, you kind of can't hate it cuz the things that he has done for whatever uh reasons or whatever it's just it's it's a really silly career. Like even well, he- like I mean, if teaching terribly at a college and helping sink it and, you know, whatever, like, is is part of the capstone of that. Like, it's sort of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> they sunk that shit. I could, I could do a whole other podcast about yeah. how terribly managed that school was. But he's, like, one of the... Maybe by the time that it closed, he was probably one of the, like, less bad things about it somehow. <laughs> but um, let's see. Uh, I'm just going to try to list anecdotes that I can remember now. Well, I, I wrote oh, yeah. down some of his films, uh, Dracula's widow. That was his oh, first. Oh God. Um, he, he wrote oh, that or he, he got the green light to do that for, by Dino De Laurentiis, the uh, sleaze legend, um, who in, uh, his anecdote, um, told him if you make it for us, you got to give us watermelons, uh, meaning big breasts. And, uh, Chris Coppola, in his telling was offended that any work of art of his um, would be touched by such, <laughs> such a sleazy sensibility, but right uh, work of art, but, right. but he swallowed it. And he also, he, he also made a movie called G men from hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seen it was forced to watch it in class. Go on. <laughs> and did you guys watch the creature from Sunnyside trailer park? Um, no, but at one point he made us all think of, different titles for it to be re-released under, which I believe that is actually the one he picked. I believe I, it was something else before that. I could be wrong, <laughs> but there was a lot, there was a lot of that class where he just gave us homework. That was like projects he had to do like in his personal <laughs> life. And we just had to do that for it. We were basically like his interns for a good portion of it. <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, yeah, g- give us a give us some more an- anecdotes if you um, got them. Let's see. So part of the plot of the movie at some point became there's like these two like older lesbians. Wait, and, I'm, R- Ross. I'm sorry to interrupt, oh. but this is now you're talking about your Juno remake. Yes, right. Yes, okay. we we're talking okay. about Juno the movie with zombies. That, yes, that I unfortunately cannot remember the name of. But so at some point there's a plot. There, so like part of the plot is there's like two older lesbians and one of them is pregnant and they're going to have a baby. And the original ending that the screenwriting conglomerate wrote was like, <laughs> they get away on a raft at the end. It's kind of, it's like the end of Dawn of the Dead. They're like, who knows? <laughs> um, and Christopher Coppola decided very, very, very late, like a month or so left in the semester that that ending was not good enough. And there had to be a zombie baby. <laughs> and <laughs> everybody in the class is like, literally everybody in two classes, the screenwriting and directing classes. <laughs> I remember this very well. We're all in a room with him. And like to a man, we're going like, we can't, you're, you realize we're basically saying the whole point of this movie is like, if you are a gay person and you do like artificial insemination, it's like a cursed evil baby. Cause there's no, there's no reason for it to be a zombie in the plot that I remember other than like, like that's the only thing you can infer. And like, there's like 50 people telling him this and he's like, we're going to do that anyway. But I just, I like the zombie baby. So that's, we're, that's what we're doing. We're going to do the zombie baby. Oh God. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't quite, I can't respect it really, but, um, it's at least an interesting choice. (laughs) I am. So I also, this is the, one of the things that I was, I wrote an ending for it that was not used, unfortunately, where there was, this is the only thing that I was proud of that I contributed to this project was my original draft of the ending involves the baby giving birth on a boat while they're drive while they're like escaping from the city. <laughs> and simultaneously as the woman's giving birth, one of the zombies is coming in through like a tiny porthole and they're like, destroy like, Oh, I see its head. And the zombie is like peeking in a little bit more. And I was like, Oh, this is like, this is really good. This is like the closest thing to something amusing that's in the script so far. Right. A, l- a little Cut. clever. It was cut. We don't even. Yeah. Get to, they, they couldn't afford a boat. I think was the problem. <laughs> so, Wait, the the raft was cut too. No, I you think, got a raft, but you got a no, boat. There, I think he used like stock footage or like. <laughs> I think he had a friend who had a boat, but like he wouldn't let us get on the boat. I wasn't there the day they filmed on the boat, so Did, I don't know exactly what happened. But I remember like there's scenes of like a boat going away. <laughs> and then it like cuts to like a generic basement and it's supposed to be the inside of the boat. Did the zombie baby happen though? That, that went through. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, sick. I think he, in retrospect, I think he had already bought the prop. <laughs> so he was like, there's just, we're, we're not. Doing it. You we're have doing to put it to use. When else are you going to use that prop except in a zombie movie? He might never get the chance again. It didn't even look like a zombie though. It was an alien baby. Like oh, it, no. it wasn't, it, it, it didn't even make sense in context. Oh, that's so frustrating. Uh, what else? Yeah. It did was, he ever, did he ever mention studying experimental opera under John Cage? According to the interview I, I listened to, that's something <laughs> he's done. I think he did, but in the same way where it's like, like he didn't have anecdotes about it. So I don't think it happened. There's okay. a lot of stuff there, he has a lot of stories that are like, mm, I don't think so. I don't yeah, think he, any he of said that, that that's actually real. 
that was his focus until people essentially begged him to make films. <laughs> that, that he was studying experimental opera under John Cage and making experimental short films. And then, uh, but the film world called. Um, so yeah. I'm trying. He to... also, this, my last thing about it is just his, that I don't, I don't remember if we knew this when we did our Deadfall episode, but. Um, Val Kilmer was supposed to be the lead in that movie. Ooh. Do, you, do you remember that, Miles? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, but he walked um, for something, uh, a, a movie with Kim Basinger that gave him more money, and it sunk the budget down to three million dollars. Um, and uh, Chris Coppola decided to go for it anyway, um, which thank God he did because that. I I think a lot of the magic probably came oh, from yeah. that. I mean, um, like I said, having seen other pieces of it, like that's the crown jewel in the collection. But uh, he's also, he was really, he's still bitter about Michael Bean being the the lead because he doesn't think he can carry a movie. <laughs> he's like, he's like very nice guy, but uh, he's, he's no lead. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> damn. Yeah, right? Uh, that's all my anecdotes. I okay. uh, Ross, it's all you now. Please, I'm trying just, to... Okay, there's one really good one, but I'm going to save it for the end. Um, okay. Let's see. Oh, at one point I had to... So he like flew... He was always flying people in. Like he was bringing in like industry <laughs> friends of his for what seemed like some sort of tax write-off purpose just to like have them advise us for a day. Right. But in practice, they like didn't do anything. Right. But he flew in one of his friends... And he said he told his friend and me, it's like, okay, it's your guys's job to go get like all these props today. So you have to like drive around San Francisco and like obtain all these things. And he made, (laughs) which also it's like completely illegal (laughs) to put like a student in somebody's car. Like you, 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 I mean, I don't give a shit, but like, but that's, that wasn't even thought of. So this guy who I've never met before is driving me around San Francisco, which is a kind of a famously hilly city. Yes. In Christopher Coppola's car, which is a stick. And this guy had never been to San Francisco before and did not know how to drive stick. <laughs> and he's just like ripping it through Chinatown. He like sideswipes a car and goes, fuck it, and keeps driving. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time he's like, I'm never working with this motherfucker ever again. Like we're done after today. Wow. Um, so that what? was one story. What was he ostensibly brought in to do? I don't remember, okay. frankly. I, it was just, none of it. It was kind of like it was a little bit of like a mafia type thing where he's like, "Yeah, right. this is Joey. He's here now. He's just Joey's here today. Don't worry <laughs> about Joey." Like right. <laughs> that kind of like, "Don't ask too many questions, kid." Kind of right. There, I will say there was one good experience with making it where basically any time he would leave us alone, it was kind of cool. Because one of the other teacher, the like cinematography teacher was this guy, uh, Hiro Narita, who's a, who has worked with like Coppola and Scorsese. He was like a teacher at the school. He was like a really cool, like smart dude who's done like a bunch of really like serious good shit. Uh-huh. And there were like moments when like Christopher Coppola would leave when like whoever was in charge of that scene was actually in charge of that scene. And like oh. when you would be like working with somebody like that, that was like actually... That was like the closest that that came to something good. But then, I mean, it was still like in service sure. of this like massive pile of shit. But <laughs> at the time, Christopher Coppola and Nick Cage were completely estranged. 
like oh, really? had not spoken to each other in like a decade or more. And oh he would God. not talk about Nicolas Cage. Like you could ask him as much as you wanted, and he'd be like, I'm not, I, I don't talk about my brother. Wow. At one point, though, he did out. I don't know if I want to out him too on the air, but we had a, we had one of a student who I knew who was going there at the time I was, was the son of somebody famous who uh-huh. he personally has actually been mentioned on this podcast before. Uh-huh. Um, but like a week or so before that, I, he like told me and a couple other people who his mom was and we were like, Oh shit. Like, that's cool. Because I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to like, I don't want to get out too much. And then, like a week later, Christopher Coppola just like outs him in front of everybody in the class. Like, oh yeah, go ask him about it. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah. So they they Cage and Coppola and Christopher Coppola had not spoken in years. The, the other the other anecdote I had in relation to that is at the end of the interview that I listened to, the guy said he asked him what his what uh chris coppola's favorite nick cage movie was and he 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 said well uh, in my mind it, it his his career is really just one long movie it's just one <laughs> performance and that sounds profound but it's wrong <laughs> i don't know that's a lie <laughs> i still think and, it might be the closest thing to a statement from him that i agree with I I mean, yeah, I like I I, like I get it, but it's also wrong. And also it just makes me think that maybe he hasn't actually really watched. He probably can't bear to watch. Oh, I'm Um, sure he can't. So the story that I had heard and this unfortunately was third hand because he told this to somebody who he liked more than he liked me whenever when their father died, which I think was probably like eight to ten years before. I was in this class. Mm-hmm. So this is like 2002, 2004, like somewhere in that area. They, that was the, at the time of this story, that was the last time Nicholas Cage and Christopher Coppola had seen each other was at their father's funeral. Um, and according to Christopher Coppola, they were in the midst of this like huge fight over who, I think it was like what was going to happen to like their father's remains or it might have been like who was going to take the like who's going to get some of the possessions or the heirlooms or something like that right so they're like they're in the midst of this huge fight and they are at the the crematorium and Nicolas Cage shows up supposedly fulfilling one of his father's last requests and by the, the way he's fulfilling that is he is showing up head to toe in a black leather suit with <laughs> nine Rottweilers. Oh, my God. And there's a confrontation between Nicolas Cage and the crematorium manager when he's told that he cannot bring the Rottweilers inside the crematorium. Oh, my God. To witness the cremation. And then during the cremation, the, the conflict comes back to a head. <laughs> and it's decided that they'll take it outside. <laughs> oh. And Christopher Coppola and Nicolas Cage get into a violent fist fight on the sidewalk in front of the crematorium <laughs> with the nine Rottweilers <laughs> chained up, just like sparking at them. No. And then my friend who was told the story was like, obviously she's like, who won? And he said, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> we gotta know are you kidding we we know <laughs> I, I think we know and then he also said he's like and then i saw him one more time 
and we never got that story. So wow, there's a there's always going to be a question mark on that one for me. So well, so what? there was obviously a reconciliation. Yeah, in this yeah. Movie so together. that's that's I think what I like. Oh. I I did kind of like those scenes because okay. So yeah, let's talk about those scenes because yeah. or that that scene really because yeah, yeah, it's really what, just one. What insight does do you have into it? I think it's an interesting thing because their relationships are kind of flipped. Like, I think that scene is kind of like probably therapeutic for both of them in some way. Because this time, Christopher Coppola is in charge. Uh-huh. He's like the tough shit head honcho motherfucker. And he's in the room. He's the successful one. And he's telling you how it's going to be. Uh-huh. And Nicolas Cage is like the little insignificant, like two bit fucking hood Right. He's like chafing under his brother's authority and just wants to like burst free. <laughs> right. And then he does so violently. Yeah, he smashes his face. And in. then and then there's that whole letter that he writes him that he performs yeah. in a monologue. And Maybe I'm the best pretty scene. sure at some point when he says, like, you're always the creature in war of the gargantuas to be. Like, I think I remember Christopher Coppola talking to me about how he and his brother like loved that movie when they were no kids. they did that's I they think, they yeah. talk about uh, reenacting because they used to uh, that's how Cage started was they they would shoot movies in their backyard and yeah. they would shoot stuff reenacting War of the Gargantuas so that's that to me is like that scene it made it almost hard for me to believe that Christopher Coppola was not involved in the writing of this movie. Because if I was him and I was trying to write like write a script that was like an absolution for like the biggest thing that I've carried around my whole life. Right. Like that and I was like I had the amount of talent that he has, like that's probably <laughs> what I would come up with. It's funny because the in the interview he's taught he he's really dismissive of this movie. Like he gives sort of the bare minimum of what I guess a plug could be, but he's just like, you know, I, I they made a lot of decisions I wouldn't have made. Um and uh so like yeah, I really don't know what to what degree he was involved, but if that could be if from w- what you've said about the way that he works it could be any degree like he could have been very involved and then shut out of the editing process or what, you know, like who knows that could have just been a line that, that cage said that chose to, to add because it was real. Like it's so, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I just, I, I guess I'm just marveling, you know, sometimes by doing this podcast, like, Sometimes I feel like we talk about movies that are like well-trod territory where we either don't have something new to say or whatever. But like sometimes we end up in a weird little cul-de-sac like this where I feel like we are three of some of the only people in the world who (laughs) have looked into this and see that there's a layer of real human pathos and, and some like drama that's happening between these two people playing out in a movie that nobody ever should yeah, watch. That's what's so difficult is like, I could only ever recommend like less than 10 minutes of this movie for somebody yeah. to watch. And I could only recommend it to somebody who has had exactly my life experiences. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's the only way there's any worthwhile content. in it. yeah, no, well, and, but Ross, I think that's actually amazing that a scene 
that is just a, a a weird little like oasis in the middle of a of a one maybe one of the worst movies I've ever seen. The most forgettable movies, <laughs> but, right? But and sure. but and and it's interesting to me and Dave for reasons that it's not interesting to other people, right? But then it takes on extra meaning for you because of your life experience. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad. I mean, I'm not trying to get too sappy here, but I'm glad that I feel like there is like a that that the this is like the Venn this that one scene in the movie is the Venn diagram of where the three of our lives like yeah. connect in the middle <laughs> and I mean I'm really glad that I looked it up enough to know to do this because otherwise like I don't know how you would talk for more than 10 minutes about this no movie. we would have no. been long done I mean you're, we've been like, doing this for like two hours like, yeah and your stories are really the only interesting part of this podcast because it's just us talking I'm, about I'm a bad movie help. yeah thank you it's amazing um uh, do, you have, do you have anything else you'd like to to say about your experiences? Um, there's what so there's one line that I know Christopher Coppola must have uh, contributed to this movie, where he refers to his henchman as Mr. Kuchar, because if if you don't know about them, the Kuchar brothers were two like underground filmmakers from the '60s who were like sort of a proto John Waters, like no budget. 16 millimeter, like disgusting, like pseudo porn beatnik art shit. Uh-huh. That, so, so George Kuchar also taught at SFAI for decades, like from the 70s onwards. And he taught Christopher Coppola. And I was <laughs> signed up to take his class this, my, my first year at SFAI. And George Kuchar died that summer. Like I was signed, I was enrolled in his class and then got a letter like two weeks before I moved to San Francisco. That was like George Kujar is dead, and luckily his identical twin brother, who was also made the same <laughs> movies that he has made his whole life, oh is being God. flown in from New York to replace him. And as far as I know, I mean, maybe not because the school doesn't exist anymore, but Mike, who I did end up taking a couple class with, classes with, is still teaching there. Um, what What was Chris's relationship with the Kuchars? He idolized. He talked about George all the time as like the man, like the the, the man. And uh-huh. like I, I loved my Mike was a great like there. I never met George obviously, but Mike right. was like the sweetest, like just a, a really great guy. Maybe not like necessarily built for teaching because he didn't start doing sure. it until he was like eighty, but like <laughs> yeah. still just a really like warm, giving, like just a very good person to be around. Um, but also, he didn't really fit very well into Christopher Coppola's like intentions for what the film department was when he took it over. Sure. So he was, Christopher Coppola was doing this sort of do as I say, not as I do thing where he was like constantly lionizing George Kuchar and his influence (laughs) while simultaneously slowly pushing his brother out of like the one thing that was giving his life meaning in his twilight years. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. So that's his, that's his relationship. But, I guess if I was going to plug anything, I would say just go on YouTube and, and watch some like classic Kuchar Brothers cinema because it's, it's very entertaining. Wow. And so it's that, a lot better than anything you'll see made by Christopher Coppola or the makers of Arsenal. Well, I mean, that's a... There you have it, listeners. I mean, that's a low bar, but... No. Yeah. Um, say, well, Ross, thank you so much for being of on course. this episode. Um, Thanks for having me. That, uh, contributed enormously to what would have been a really dreadful episode otherwise. Yeah. Um, and, but before you go, this is something we like to ask all of our guests. Um, yes. what are, what are your top three cage roles, like cage performances across his whole career? 
I think adaptation is the best one. I think that's like he's just I love him when he's just being like a psycho, but yeah. that's he's that's the only one where he's like being a psycho and he's being like painfully real. Like, yeah. In the same scene to himself. Yeah. <laughs> which is really I mean, I love it, that movie. I, it's a masterful. It's two it's, masterful performances. It's maybe the best thing that he's been involved in. It's yeah. great. Um, after that, it's probably Wild at Heart and Face Off. Just like yeah. those are the ones that I will rewatch the most. I yeah. will watch Face Off at any time. I'm 100 percent with that. you on that one. Face Off is one of my like favorite guilty pleasures of all time. Like it's my- the bet. It's probably the best movie to watch if you're like hungover, or <laughs> if you're j- like because you don't you don't have to think about it. It's just like. It's just what you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I can't argue with that. I mean, my Miles is a face-off guy. I'm a Con Air guy, personally. I do love Con Air, um, too. But um, they're both masterpieces of cinema, so... I mean, really, I the tiebreaker for me is John Woo. I'll take... Yeah, I, I get I'll take that. that that choreography over whoever <laughs> did Con Air. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, um, I forget his name, because he never did anything else, really. Okay, lastly, uh, can you give us a panther roar? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, was one of the best ones that was we've a ever really good had. One. That was very, wow. that was extremely thought out. Thank you. <laughs> Miles, what are You're we welcome. watching next? What's next? Oh, great question, Dave. Uh, let me look it up for you guys. I looked it up yesterday and then I forgot because every single film title in this era is like totally forgettable one or two I words. Um, I, that are I've very been talking th- that we're coming into like a cage renaissance, but um, but we have really like, like three or four more really bad ones before yeah. we actually hit the renaissance. I was actually talking to Ross about this before you signed on. He was like, how long until Mandy? I was like, only a couple movies. But now I'm realizing those movies are actually yeah. really like... <laughs> Uh, gonna be something to only a couple it. years. <laughs> uh, let's see. So it looks like um, the next one after this, uh, inconceivable, <laughs> inconceivable, and then it's gonna be vengeance after that. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Cool. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. The, the the only thing I can think about is Wallace Shawn and yeah. That's, the that's exactly where I <laughs> went to. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a weird choice. It's such a weird choice because every time you see the title, that's all you're going to think about. I think it's about a baby, too. I believe it's a play on words um, that someone fought for. Oh, oh, I see. I see. I get it. I get it. Well, all right. (laughs) 